morning I want to share with you a message that I believe will require all day for you to receive, but we're not going to keep you here all day. Can someone say amen to that? Which requires all day because that's what the Bible tells us. The reality for some of us is going to take today and next week for us to truly grasp this concept of looking for Jesus. Because the reality is Jesus is looking for us. And so we begin, as we just heard in Matthew 28. He says, I know you're looking for Jesus, but he is not here. He is risen like he said. Jesus said, I will rise again. And that he did. So go on this journey with me in John chapter 20. We're going to spend our time there in John chapter 20. If you have your Bible, please turn to the book of John chapter number 20. We're going to look at the resurrection from the gospel of John. Every gospel writer talks about the resurrection. And many of them talk about it as an event. But John includes the resurrection not because um, it wasn't an event. He included it because it was part of his narrative of writing a book that people would learn to believe in Jesus Christ. If you've never heard me say this, I want to say this to you now because this will give you freedom when it comes to relationship first with God, with yourself, and with others. Please understand that God is more concerned about your belief than your behavior. That's why I wrote an entire book of 21 chapters that deals with your belief. The original sin wasn't because of a behavior. The original sin was because of a belief. And every behavior is connected to a belief system. You think before you act. The enemy knows that. And it's important that the body of Christ knows. So John is writing now and he talks of the resurrection, and his goal is not just to rehearse or record the events of that day. It's to actually get you to a place of where you believe Jesus, the resurrected king. That's that's John's goal. And so in John chapter 20, he goes through in the first 15 verses, What we see here is that it begins and it says that now the first day of the week, which is Sunday. The first day of the week is Sunday. Because in the Hebrew mindset, the Sabbath was on Saturday. And so they couldn't do anything on Saturday. That's why they said take the body down on Friday. Why? Because the Sabbath is coming. That's all it meant. They were saying we cannot violate our religious rules, I mean, they're killing the Savior of the world, but don't want to violate their traditions. We don't believe he's a son of God, but we believe. Don't mess with the Sabbath. Behavior, come on, and not understanding belief. I can close my Bible and sit down right now, and you all be like, praise God, he proved this point. But I got another 30 minutes or 40 minutes, so let me utilize it. And so what happened was this, was, was it said, take the body down. And so then there came this wealthy individual. I tell people, listen, being wealthy is not a sin. 
That's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. If you notice throughout the scriptures, we had Abraham who was wealthy. We had uh, Isaac who was wealthy. But the moment we're coming to Christ, the enemy now starts to mess with the economy so we couldn't preach the greatest message, which is Jesus Christ. And so what happens now is we don't understand that influence came because a wealthy man said, can I take the body of Jesus and I want to put him in the tomb that I built, which fulfill in scripture. I'm telling you, I want to break mindsets now because the resurrected king wants us to understand how to see things from a belief and not just a behavior. And so all of a sudden he goes and he gets the body and he puts it in the tomb. And so all of a sudden we now get to John chapter 20. And so John's writing out and John is saying, listen, now the first of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. Well, Matthew says it was a bunch of ladies that went to the tomb. But John, his goal is for you to understand that the resurrected king wants you to believe and not just look at the behavior. I'm messing with some people's minds because we think I'm giving you permission to behave badly. No, I'm not. I'm saying if they don't understand how to believe, they're going to continue to act and behave badly. That gives us room to have compassion. It gives us room for us not to compromise. When you understand it's a belief system, you stay in the place of Jesus. Come on. And so all of a sudden now, John points out, Mary Magdalene went. And so there's all these ladies, but John is right now, and he's saying, she came to the tomb early while it was still dark. This is verse number one. And saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So in verse one of John chapter 20, you got to go to Matthew and Luke and see what happened. The angel came down and moved the stone, and the soldiers were so terrified, the guards. So she's walking into something God was already doing. She's going for a religious reason based on burial, but God knows she needs to go because there's a belief she needs to embrace. And so every time you decide to go to the house of the Lord, it is not because religious routine you do. It's because you want your belief system to increase. Because, you know, by the time you got out of bed, God was already working at the house where you're going to. Oh, my God. So when you step in, you step into what God's already doing. Why? Because we believe the resurrected king is already at work. And so no matter what brings you here, God says, I'm here. You're looking for Jesus. I'm looking for Jesus. My friends may show up. My children may show up. But as long as Jesus shows up, everything is going to be A-OK. Oh, my God. Because he's changing my belief system. He's changed my belief. And so here is Mary Magdalene. So what's the big deal about her? Why would John, why would John uh, 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 pick her out? He could have picked anybody. The other Mary was there. The mother, everybody was there. He says, no, Mary Magdalene is there because the reason why she's going early is because she believes that there was no time to get all the spices that they needed for the burial. So she's going in early. Now, in her mind, how is she going to get past the guards? How is she going to overthrow the Roman guards who knew if Jesus' body was taken away on their watch, it would be their life? So Mary is head and watches now. She didn't fully comprehend the resurrection yet, but she's already doing stuff that implies this, her deep affection for Jesus. 
Can you imagine when we get radical in our belief system? Listen, if you're crazy now about Jesus and you haven't got the full revelation, can you imagine when you get a full revelation of who Jesus is? Nobody can stop you from giving God praise. Nobody can stop you from acknowledging the goodness of God. And that's what God wants to do this morning. He wants to break your mind and give you the mind of Christ so you will have a deep affection for him. Mary Magdalene. Seven demons came out of her. Not one. Seven demons were in her. And Jesus walks up to her with the eyes of compassion and casts those demons out and she's free. Ooh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Seven demons came out. So when she saw her Lord and Savior die on the cross, she says they didn't give him a proper burial. We had to rush this thing. And so she gets up early in the morning. I don't know how I'm going to overthrow the guards, but my driven affection for what he did for me is greater than anything I can see in the natural. And she goes to the tomb and God and his love already opened the tomb for her. Made the guards disperse. And here she is now. And she sees this. She's looking for Jesus. And here's what she does. She runs back, according to John, and tells Peter and John, I went to the tomb early, and he's not there. She looked, and she ran. She went. The first preaching of the gospel was a woman. (laughs) Come on, ladies. Perhaps it was to go all the way back to where? Genesis. Where the woman was deceived by the serpent. Oh, come on. Ah, And God is saying, I'm restoring everything. I'm going to make a woman, hallelujah, come on, go and proclaim, maybe not the full revelation, but say, I don't know what's going on, man, but the tomb is empty. And so Peter and John runs now as we look here, and they run, and I want to teach you something really quick about the belief and affects the behavior. And so John and Peter, they run, and I love this, because the younger gets there before the older, and so the younger gets to the empty tomb, and he looks in. So the first point I want you to write down is this. In looking for Jesus, you have to look to the empty tomb. To look for Jesus, we must start at the empty tomb. We must look at the grave wrappings, the things he was wrapped around. And so it's interesting, in the Greek, as John is writing, he says this, stay with me, he says this now, John gets there first, and he looks in, doesn't go in, he looks in, and he looks in, and he sees that the grave clothing is there. When you approach the scripture, the first thing that will happen to you to encounter the resurrected king is that you will look and you will say, this is a Bible. 
It's at that level. That's what John was looking at when he looked in. He says, my natural eyes can see that the burial clothing is there. I didn't go in yet. I'm just observing from the outside of the tomb, and I'm looking in. And what John is saying, there is an object that my eyes can see. And so as we begin looking at the resurrected king, the first thing, if you want to get a revelation for your life and have the joy of the Lord, you've got to have a Bible. You have to make sure that you protect the Bible. Come on. I'm not saying that it can't be on the floor. I'm not saying all that. I'm not saying Bible worship. I'm simply saying that the word of God has to become the absolute truth word of God in your life. Because this is what is recorded history of the resurrection. So a lot of people, if you're looking for Jesus, you have to start with his word. And so the first thing is this. You have to have a Bible. There are nations in this world that would love to have a Bible because it's forbidden in other nations. And so here it is that we have access to Bibles. During the pandemic, it was the number one bestseller. It always has been that. Everyone's like, oh, my gosh. Is this the end times? And everyone's looking in the Bible, and the sales are going up, and all they're doing is just looking. They haven't gone in yet. No, no, they don't really believe yet, but they know I need to at least have a Bible. And that's the first level of Bible study. That's the first thing of introducing someone to Jesus. When you're looking for Jesus, the first thing you have to let them know is this. Hey, listen, you need the word of God. I'm not coming with my own opinions. I'm coming with the word of God. I'm coming with the Bible. And so we see that from John, the first thing he did. So now Peter comes in. And Peter catches up to John. And Peter now, and this is why mentorship is so important. Peter now, the other Greek word for look is this, right? Is that the first one was to clearly see a material object, the Bible. Or in case of of John, he saw the grave clothes. What Peter did was this now. Peter goes into the tomb to examine it. He goes into the tomb that's been opened, and he now goes and he examines it. And that's why I love talking about the Bible. I'm never intimidated by someone that wants to talk about the Word of God. I'm like, let's talk about the Word of God. That's awesome. At least we have you talking. And so Peter goes in, and Peter now goes, and what Peter is doing is not just acknowledging, clearly there's an object here. Peter is observing, and he's scrutinizing, and he's examining, what is this that my eyes are seeing? I'm looking for Jesus in the empty tomb. I'm looking for the Savior of the world, the one who told us all these great things, and I'm looking for him, and I'm right there. And this is the place where the majority of us are, that we're looking in and we're examining, we're scrutinizing, and we're saying, is this really the word of God? Why? Because there might be a behavior we like, but we have to see if it matches with our belief. And so what's important for us is the opposite. No, it's my belief that drives my behavior. We start with a behavior and we try to justify it by a belief. And the resurrection came to break that. That's what the religious people were doing was they were forming behaviors trying to confirm a belief system. And Jesus came and he overthrew the tables. He did all sorts of things. And why to mess them up to say, listen, if you're examining me, examine me. Because you think in the scriptures you have life. No, in the scriptures they speak of me. So Peter goes in. My question for you this morning is simply this. Are you looking? from the outside of the tomb or are you inside examining the empty tomb you can't stay from the outside 
It just acknowledges the Bible. You have to go in now. Come on. So if there is a situation in your life and you're talking to somebody, don't stay on the outside looking at the object because why? You both can see the object based on your experience. <laughs> and you're debating. You're arguing. You, what you need to do is say, come on inside with me. Come on. And let's get closer. Let's examine it. Let's scrutinize it. Let's see what it's really telling us. And when they got in there, here's what they realized. Peter saw and says there was a body in here. But it evaporated. Then it says the third thing. John then came in. So in other words, for us to get deep revelation looking for Jesus on Resurrection Sunday early in the morning, we need someone who's willing to go in for us. Come on. And say the coast is clear. You can believe this. We need that. We need that. Husbands, we need that. Wives, we need that. We need husbands to lead their wives and wives to lead their children. We need some people to lead us and say, hey, I've examined it. It's called your personal testimony. It's called that I've been through these things and God has revealed himself. Come on, let's go in closer. They haven't seen Jesus yet. They're just examining where he was. And so Peter says, yes, there was a body here. And then John comes in, and John now looks at it, and what John sees is this. He now understands. He now perceives the significance of the empty tomb. Before we can find Jesus, we must look at the empty tomb and leave saying, I understand there's something greater. I perceive there's something more. I see the significance of giving my life to the one who died for me. And you're looking for Jesus this morning. Where are you? Are you on the outside saying, yes, I acknowledge I need Jesus? Are you on the inside saying, Jesus, you and I have to talk? And are you calling people on this resurrection that says, come with me? You can step into the empty tomb. Why? Because you will perceive and understand the significance of what I've been talking about. That's the first thing of Resurrection Sunday is do you understand, perceive the significance of the events. And so John is running. John is saying, I need for you to get this because as he moves on, he realizes this now that Mary comes back now. And here's what happened. So Peter and John, they go back home and they're like, okay, man, what's the significance of that? Um, you know, what, what did I perceive about that? They go home and we see that Mary is still there. And Mary now is outside the, the, the tomb. Remember, we all have to get to the empty tomb. So Mary is there and Mary is weeping, she's crying. And so the angel says, Mary, why are you weeping? And she says, they've taken the body of my Lord. I don't know where they've placed him. She still thinks he's dead. She's weeping over a dead Jesus. She's looking for a dead Jesus because that's all her faith can muster up. There is no way he survived that brutal beating. There is no way what I saw on Friday that he actually raised from the dead. There is no way that he was able to survive that. Nobody could survive what I just witnessed. And she's weeping. She says, I want to finish the burial. I want to honor this dead Jesus by finishing and giving him a proper burial. That's all my mind can understand. And so when you become religious, that's all we want to do. And when the spirit of God moves, we say, hey. Settle down now. Hey, no, 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 we don't want that. We don't want Jesus to come alive because he's going to mess everything up. We don't want that. 
And so here was Mary weeping. Then all of a sudden, we see now that Jesus goes and Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? The second time again, why are you weeping? And so this time now, he also says, whom are you seeking? God never leaves us in a place where he doesn't want to challenge our faith. That's for somebody right there. I don't know where you are this morning, this Resurrection Sunday. But I want to let you know, they didn't see the resurrected Jesus till the evening. This is all the morning. That's why I said a true service, a true gathering like this doesn't just happen on one hour for some churches or two hours for TGP. No, all that the morning does is get you to think and to understand and perceive. Am I looking for a dead Jesus or a Jesus who's alive? So when I gather with people, do you believe he's alive? Yes. Well, let's worship God and let's celebrate the goodness of God. That's what this community is about. And even though people get saved in this community, come on, the ultimate goal is for us to perceive together the significance of what Jesus is doing for us to discern the times of which we're living in so we can be released into a world that needs to know that Jesus is alive. If you're looking for Jesus, let me lead you in the way. But if it's a dead Jesus, nobody wants to come to a dead Jesus. In other words, is it working for you? If it's not working for you, why are you going to bring me to a dead religion? And so that's why we have to come alive. Someone say, come alive. Come on, you got to come alive to your kids. You got to come alive to your wife. You got to come alive to your husband. You got to come alive. It says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of me. Oh, that's so good. We judge a Sunday morning gathering and we judge it wrongly. We must judge it based on the fact that we, that we perceive the significance of it. Am I looking for a dead Jesus or am I looking for the Jesus who's alive, who conquered death, hell, and the grave? Am I looking for a dead Jesus that's religious or am I looking for a Jesus who's alive and gives righteousness? Which Jesus are you looking for at the empty tomb? And so we see that finally Jesus went ahead and Jesus sees that she's crying And Jesus turns to her, and Jesus calls her by name. Oh, that's so good. If you read this, he called her by name. He said, woman, why are you weeping? But then he says, Mary. And she said, Rabboni. Oh, my goodness. Hallelujah. Come on. He knows your name. He knows your name. He don't call you what the devil calls you. He calls you by your name. I wish I had one person who heard the voice of God call your name. Hallelujah. Rowan, I'm calling you August 16, 1988. He called my name. Oh, we can do better than that. He called your name. You are wandering. You are struggling. You are trying to make the ends meet. But Jesus called your name. He says, Mary, as she turned around. Woo. Mary, not demon cast out. Come on. Mary, hallelujah. The affectionate voice of God. And God is calling you this morning. He's calling your name. Will you look for Jesus, the one who calls your name? Your parents may name you, but God's the one who calls you. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. With my grandson, they call him Zay. Beautiful name. But God has called him into this world. My God. Hallelujah. And our objective is to teach him the word of God. To show him, to make him see what God has for his future. 
so that he would get to a place where he goes to the empty tomb and he hears God call, Zeruf. Every one of us must go to the empty tomb because we will be judged based on what we looked at. That's just a morning. That's a Sunday morning. And so then, the, then Jesus said to her, Mary. And so Mary runs back now. And she's like, oh, my goodness. She runs back to tell them all the news. And many of the disciples says, we don't believe you, woman. There's no way what you're telling us seems to be the case. I want to declare to somebody right now that I said earlier, let God do the work in your life. Let God be the one that convinced people. Come on. Come on. Let God be the one that does the work. I'm exhausted trying to do God's work. Come on, somebody. Let God be the one that does the work. God is the one that rolled away the stone. God is the one that called Jesus from the dead. God is the one that saves us. God is the one that heals us. God is the one that comforts us. God is the one. Can I get someone in this place to know that God is the one? And here's the deal. He is the soon coming king. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's a soon coming king. Just look at all the world events that's taking place. But don't look at them from that perspective. Look into the word of God and see what God is doing. And he's calling your name. He's calling your name. He's calling your name. This morning, he's calling your name. He's calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's calling your name. Young people, he's calling your name. He's calling you away from the video games. Come on. He's calling you away from playing games. He's calling some of you from the blame game. He's calling some of you from doing things that are not healthy because of your belief. He's calling you by name. He's saying, come on out. He's calling you. If he can call Lazarus by name, surely he can call your name. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And to Mary, he says, Mary. And she turns around. She turns around. And she now realizes who she's encountering. She's encountering the resurrected Jesus. And he tells her some profound things. Gives her deep revelation of who he really is. God is not trying to hide his identity. (laughs) God is not trying to hide it. He's not confused about his identity. No, no, no. He knows exactly who he is. So does Jesus know exactly who they are. And that's the first half. And that's, that's where we are as you look at this particular text. And so that was the first 18 verses. And that was just the morning. That was the morning. And so church is over. We give you the launch. And you go out. And you're doing your thing. And that's it. And you haven't met the resurrected king. You just hear about it. But John writes on. And look what John says now in verse 19 of John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So it's one thing for you to be looking for Jesus. But here's the revelation this morning. Resurrected Jesus is looking for you to believe. He's looking for you to believe. He's looking for you to to believe. What do you believe about Jesus? That's what you're going to be judged based on. Not your behavior. God is, you're going to stand before God. He's going to say, what did you believe about me? I thought you were just a good person. Wrong. I thought you were a good moral teacher. Wrong. I thought everyone who just wears a cross is saved. Wrong. I thought if I went to church, wrong. What Did you believe about 
me, not what your mom told you, not what your dad told you, not what your neighbor told you, not what your wife or husband. What did you believe about me, the resurrected king? Because I'm looking for you. Because here's the deal. Because looking for Jesus, you may imply that I'm lost. (laughs) You may think I'm lost looking for me. But no, I'm looking for you. Not your behavior. Oh, come on. Because the deal is this. Because if you only focus on your behavior, you think I'm trying to rob you of pleasure. But the delight is in me. (laughs) Whatever pleasure you have outside of me is fleeting pleasure. It may feel good, but it won't last a long time. Come on. That addiction, that struggle, it won't last long. It's only for the moment. It may be for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, for 40 years. But how many know people who've been addicted for 40 years and God just saves them instantly? Come on, somebody. Why? Because one belief can break 40 years of bad behavior. I wish I had a church this morning that recognizes that I was lost and undone, but I just believed God. And he changed everything. And so here they are locked up, locked up. They are afraid of the Jews. So the resurrected Jesus is looking for us to believe. And here's my, here's my final, final point as we bring this, as we bring this to the place where I believe it needs to go is simply this. Um, John chapter uh, 20 verses, excuse me, 16 to 29 gives us four reactions to the resurrected king. There's four ways to respond to him. And as I was researching, I love, and I captured this. I'm like, man, someone wrote these four things. I'm like, this is really good. It's really going to help for today. So, so here is the four reaction to the resurrection. Here is how John writes it for us to get to a place of belief. So the resurrected Jesus is looking for us to do what? Believe. That's it. That's it. Just to believe. When you read the scriptures, when they believed they were baptized, it wasn't this prolonged thing. They believed they were baptized. That means their belief was concrete. It wasn't surface. Their belief made their behavior, did this, stop the chariot. There is water, baptize me. Oh, come on. Come on. One belief. I'm not minimizing a progressive healing. We see that with the blind man who was healed. And then obviously says, what do I see? I see men's like tree. He says, okay, look again. And he can see clearly. So I'm not saying there's not progressive healing. Of course there is. And with the power of God, able to be delivered over a period of time, right? And we call that mental health and all those things. And I'm going to show you next month dealing with what a healthy church looks like. I am at the point where I am so concerned with the culture causing and creating the narrative for the church. The culture is a liar and the devil and his mother-in-law and everybody else with it as well. Listen, no longer will the culture defines the church. We are a healthy church. Especially if you see the resurrected king. You're healthy. And the reason why we're buying the narrative is because we're looking at behavior and we're not looking at our belief. Why? Because the culture calls to change our beliefs so they can justify our behavior. And we were like, okay. 
Can I give you an example of how that works? Here's how it works. Um, God is love, right? Yeah. So your Christian value that you just told me is not loving. So therefore, you must not know the God of love. So go change what you believe about God because what you told me wasn't loving. Let me share with you again. Your Christian values you got in the Bible from the empty tomb, looking at it, going into it, and perceiving the significance of it. What you're telling me goes against my feelings. It doesn't challenge my faith. It goes against my feelings. Because if I go to my faith, I have to then say, what do I really believe in? So what you're doing is you're affecting my feelings. And my feelings can't be wrong. God knows that. So your faith must be wrong in God because God wouldn't want you to, ready for this, hurt my feelings. And the church was like, oops. Let's be secret sensitive then. Let's not hurt their feelings. And all you have done is allowed me to stay in a behavior that when I get before God, he's going to ask me, what did I believe? And you're going to say, I wish that preacher, I wish that pastor would have ignored my feelings and given me the truth of the word of God to know who God is. I wish he would have told me what I must believe so I could change my behavior and stand before holy God and says, I know I'm not righteous, but your righteousness cleans me up and your righteousness makes me stand before you. And the only reason why I can step into the portals of heaven is because I believe in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross who died on Friday, buried in the grave, and rose on Sunday and paid the penalty for my sin. That's the resurrected Jesus. So here it is. So the first level is this. Hearing, write this down, is believing or keeping your mind. Hearing is believing. Hearing is believing. Worship team, you guys can come up now. Um, the first thing is hearing is believing. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Whoo. By the word of God. So on Sunday morning when we gather together, Based on what John was saying early in the morning, the whole goal is to teach the word of God so you can say, I hear because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's it. That's it. You cannot in two hours fully grasp grasp the revelation of God. You must, as the Bible says, examine the scriptures to make sure that they are of God. And so the first thing is hearing is believing. That's when you hear your name call, you believe. The first thing is hearing is believing. Can I prove it in the scriptures? Can I do it? Thank you, I will. Right? The first thing, God shows up in Genesis chapter number three. He walks in, and what does he say? He says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, I heard your voice. And because of my behavior, oh. I hid myself because I don't believe that you're not going to punish me. It's exactly what happened. God, I was afraid of you when I heard your voice. And God is saying that's fear, that's not faith. And so the biggest, the original sin was not the eating of the fruit. It was the unbelief of God's word. Hearing is believing. The second thing now is seeing is believing. And this part blew my mind. 
This part was like, wow. Jesus now, the Bible said the door was locked. So we believe it to be. He walked through the door. His resurrected body, he walked through the door. That nothing keeps him out. He walks through the door. Some theologian would tell you, he just got through the door. See, sometimes they're going to try to take away the miracle of it, right? Try to minimize the miracle of a resurrected king walking through the door. So they say, ah, that's not what really happened. He just opened the door and got in. All you spiritual people. You don't take all that. No, he walked through the door, folks. Because <laughs> there's certain doors that you got that's locked. That ain't nobody getting in there. And you need Jesus to come through. Only he can walk through those doors. Those barriers. Those mindsets. Come on. Only Jesus can walk through those mindsets to get to you. Hearing is believing. The second thing is, is seeing is believing. And so Jesus comes now. And you ready for this? This is minister Scott. Jesus comes now. And this is what Jesus does. He shows them his wounds. Hold on. Friday he was beaten and brutalized. And all these wounds on his back on his head from the crown of thorns. And he walks in, and so there's no marking on his face as we're recorded by John. There's nothing on his back, but the wounds are still there. So we have a resurrected king wounded. Oh, come on. Ooh. You got it. You got to get it. You got to get it. Because he knows in Isaiah 53, by my stripes you are healed. And so all of a sudden, those wounds dealt with your behavior. But now he's resurrected. These wounds deal with your unbelief. Come on, my God. I'm going back to the original place. I'm going, I'm going back to the original place is the unbelief. And now he says, look, it's me. That's the first thing. The second thing he says this, I don't want you to think this is another Jesus. That they produced someone whose name was Jose, Jesus. He says, I'm the real deal. This is the real body. He wants to show them, look, look, this is me. Because seeing is believing. He's telling these apostles, these these people he's going to send. He's telling them, look, look, it's me. And he says, look at the prince. Look at the mark. It's me. It's not a ghost. It's not an imposter. It's me. Peace be unto you because it's me. In your battle for belief, he knows you need peace of mind. (laughs) You need a peace of mind. I keep referring to, I look at what's going on. Inflation, gas prices, wars, and all these things. Pandemic, another wave. All these things taking place. The increase of mental illness, not mental health. The Bible teaches mental health so that we won't fall into mental illness. But if we have mental illness, the Bible still speaks to how God can restore back to mental health. So what has happened is the increase in mental illness. What we need is the increase in mental health. Come on, somebody. And so what we're doing is this. We're not saying that if you're going through anxiety, come on, come on, we're more compassionate than that. Don't let the devil mess with your mind because you have to take these pills. That's not what I'm talking about. But I do know that if you believe, come on, that God can deliver, at least have a belief that God can deliver you because he cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Surely he can take a headache away. Come on, somebody. So we're not belittling that. It's a great concern for the church. The increase of mental illness should cause the church to preach the gospel even more. It's called the gospel of the good news. My God, if they're telling us society is saying, I'm falling apart, church. What an obligation we have, an opportunity to preach peace to your mind. He shows them 
And he says, it's the real deal. And so that was the first, that was the even, and that was it. By his wounds, I'm healed of unbelief. But Thomas was missing. One of them was missing. And so they said, Thomas, we've seen the evidence. And Thomas says this, unless I see it myself, I won't believe. What was Thomas getting at? He wasn't doubting. Thomas was saying, what my eyes saw on Friday, you're telling me that he rose from the dead? Oh, you got your evidence. I need my evidence. And so Thomas said this, proving is believing. In other words, church, the greatest sermon you ever preach don't need words. The greatest sermon you preach is your lifestyle that demonstrates your belief system to other people. And then the final one is this. And this is where we're at now. When Jesus looks and says, Thomas, put your hands at my side. Thomas, look, it's me. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. And all of a sudden, this is what happens now. Thomas goes and Jesus now gives the word for the church. Here's the word for the church. Jesus says that he ends and he says, Thomas, you believe because you see. But verse 29, my last scripture was this. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have seen and you have not believed. So by his wounds, we are healed. By his word, we believe. (laughs) These are eyewitnesses. You weren't there. None of us was there. Unless you're really, really old. But none of us were there. But John wrote this down because he says there are people who are there that what they need is a word that can cause them to believe. And so here is what happens when you believe. Someone say, Pastor Rowe, how do I know I believe? How do I know I believe? There it is. Thank you for asking. Here it is. And you ready, guys? Because this is the house of miracles. This is the house of miracles. This is the house of miracles. God is moving to this place, the house of miracles, the resurrected king. He's looking for me, the resurrected king. He's looking for me. And so Peter, who was there, writes this now. And he talks about those who are born again, who has experienced the resurrected king. He says this. For those who trust is believing. Trust the process. That's believing. And he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Let that sink in right there. God, I haven't seen you, but I love you. You dealt with the, you dealt with the behavior but now there are moments in my life where I need for you to deal with my unbelief. You're calling me to do great things. The resurrected king has called me to do great things. And my struggle is not my behavior. The struggle is my belief. Help my unbelief, God. And I can't see you, but guess what? I love you. 
A loved one passed away that you were praying, believing God to heal, believing God to save, and they still passed away. And so what happens, I'm tempted to go back to a behavior. So what I'm doing, I'm asking God to help my unbelief. I don't see you in this, God, but I love you. Because the resurrected king, you're looking for me. You're looking for me. And so he goes on and he continues. He says this. And he says, though you don't, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you don't, though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Why? Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's how we're supposed to live, church, in 2022. Though I don't see him, I love him. Though I don't see him, I believe in him. And the joy that I have from that is inexpressible and full of glory. How do you know you're part of a healthy church? Because there's a joy that comes from the depth of their soul. Because the sweet salvation that God has made them whole. Mm. And no longer am I judged based on my behavior. I'm held accountable to what I believe. That's how to set some of you free right now. You want to change your behavior? Change your belief system. Change your belief system, you'll see things that you can do for God. 